This is Matt. I'm the lead pastor at Westminster Baptist Church. Thanks for engaging God's word with us. My prayer for you is that this would be supplemental to your discipleship journey. Uh, If we can connect you with a local church or discipleship group, uh, please contact us at info at discoverwbc.com. Amen. As we walk away today, again, I want you to remember whatever God has called you to do. No matter if you're in a difficult season or not, or whatever it looks like, are you able to say, and can you confidently say, the Lord's will be done? If you know what you have been compelled to do, convicted and compelled to do, God's will, if you know what that is, are you doing it? Another way to say it is, have you ever known what you should do but been scared to do it? You know what I'm talking about? You ever known what you ought to do, but you're just scared to do it? Or maybe it becomes an inconvenience, or it's just something like, man, this is going to really throw off my life, and you're just like, I, I don't want to do that because that will just mess with everything. Or I don't want to do that because I'm afraid of what it might mean. Well, uh, as we look throughout history and throughout Scripture, we see different individuals who knew what they had to do, and they did it. People like Noah, who knew what he had to do, and he did it. Like Abraham, who knew what he had to do, and he did it like David facing Goliath. He knew what he had to do, and he did it. Like Jesus, who knew what he had to do, and did it. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when he was told that he was going to head to Jerusalem, the clarification had come that he was about to take, be taken to the cross, put on the cross, and killed for you and I, so that we might have life. So that we might all have life. So that we might have opportunity to have Life. He did what he had to do so that we might have life. Today we're going to see Paul, who knew what he had to do, and he did it. In fact, some would call this Paul's Gethsemane. The moment like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, where Paul was confronted with the truth that he would be headed to a place where he would lose his life. At the beginning of Acts, Paul is persecuting, arresting, and overseeing the murder of Christians. But at the end of Acts, Paul is being persecuted. He's being arrested. And eventually he will be murdered because he is a Christian. So maybe we all have our sort of Gethsemane moments where it's in between death and life. In between an opportunity and accomplishing that opportunity. That moment when you're in that climax of being told what to do and it's, are you going to do it? Or are you not going to do it? Will you be faithful or will you be unfaithful? You see, we see in a long line of faithful people. We see them consistently see God calling people to do things outside of their ability and things that would risk their lives and livelihood. It's not typical in Scripture to see God calling people to do things that don't call them outside of what they normally do, outside of what they think is their ability outside of their livelihood. It's not normal for him just to say, hey, what you're doing, just, it's all good. Just keep doing it. It's typical in Scripture for us to see God call us to things that we never thought we could accomplish. God calls us to places we never thought we would go. So we see in a long line of faithful people, we see God consistently calling them to do things outside of their ability and outside of their lives or livelihood. Look at Acts 21, 1-12 through 12 with me. After we tore ourselves away from them, we set sail straight for Kos, the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara, 
Finding a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, we boarded and set sail. After we sighted Cyprus, passing to the south of it, we sailed on to Syria and arrived at Tyre, since the ship was to unload its cargo there. I want to give you an idea of this ship, so pause for me a moment, think about this. Uh, When you think about a first century Roman ship, like Phoenician ship, around this area, when you think about that, are you thinking like a Galilean fishing boat, like that maybe Peter and James and John were fishing on? Uh, Are you thinking about a huge massive ship, like a cruise ship we have today. What comes to your mind in those moments? Um, I think it might help. Has anybody been to um, the Inner Harbor before, Baltimore Inner Harbor? Yeah, a lot of us. Come on, more than that. More than that. We're going to get active today. You guys are silent, man. It's unbelievable. It's okay. All right, everybody good? We feeling good? Has anybody been to Inner Harbor? Woo! There it is, man. That was active. All right, I like it. Um, has anybody seen the Constellation, the USS Constellation? Yeah? Okay, that's the, the black ship with the white masts and the cannons that come off the side of it. And every now and then they do the, the cannon where it shoots off in the middle of the Inner Harbor and it scares everybody. All right? It's a really cool ship. Like, if you've ever been to, able to tour it, if you haven't toured it, you should tour it. It's unbelievable. Um, but it's that size, maybe a little bit smaller, is the size ship that Paul was on at this time. So you can kind of get in your mind what it might have seemed like as far as size. But obviously it didn't have everything that was on that particular ship. But it was a huge ship. And it was probably like a grain cargo ship that they would use. But I think this makes a difference. So look at verse 4. We sought out the disciples and stayed there seven days. Through the Spirit, they told Paul not to go to Jerusalem. When our time had come to an end, we left to continue our journey. While all of them with their wives and children accompanied us out of the city, and after kneeling down on the beach to pray, we said farewell to one another and boarded the ship, and they returned home. When we completed our voyage from Tyre, we reached Ptolemais, where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed with them for a day. The next day we left and came to Caesarea, where we entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. This man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. And after we had been there for several days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Okay, stop here and think about this. Where all he's been. Now, throughout Acts... We have seen Paul stop in cities, preach in the synagogues, perform miracles, engage people and have conversations with people and work them towards life, right? We've seen Paul slow down in cities. Now, sometimes we see kind of quick go through. This is one of those moments where we see him just city to city, right? He's hopping on a ship. The only reason he's stopping is just because there's not a one way. This is multiple stops, okay? We're on a ship that, ha- that, stop- that essentially uh, sails during the day. They stop at night. So Paul's sailing during the day, 10 to 12 hours. That's about the distance it took to get down from Tyre to, from Tyre to get to this uh, area, then back to get to t- Jerusalem. They have to go about 10 to 12 hours on a ship. So uh, we see that it, it's not a one-way route, so he's going city to city, but he is on a mission. I think that's what's important here. Paul knows his mission, and he's committed to following through that mission. He knows what he has to do, and he's going to do it. But you can see it in how quickly he's moving. It's not like the rest of Acts, where he's kind of city to city establishing churches. He has a destination he is headed towards, and it's Jerusalem. So finish this out with me, and I'm going to bring you back to this point. 
Verse 11, um, and this is talking about Agabus. He came to us, took Paul's belt, tied his own feet and hands, and said, This is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews in Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, both we and the local people pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. So as you end this, you sort of have to ask the question, Paul, are you being disobedient? Urgency, devoted. One, he's going to one place, Jerusalem. And he's not letting anything get in his way. But it's said twice in this passage. First, in verse uh, uh, um, 4, I believe it is, they, the uh, disciples say to him, through the Holy Spirit, not to go to Jerusalem. And then again, we see here, uh, Agabus says, it's through, that this is what the Holy Spirit says. And he's trying to give him this kind of warning message. Well, John Stott kind of clarifies this for us. I think it's very helpful. Basically, what he says is, uh, the truth is, if he goes to Jerusalem, he's going to endure persecution. But that truth has invoked in the disciples and those around Paul a fear. The fear is not from the Holy Spirit, but the truth is. The disciples knew, hey man, don't, it's kind of like, don't go, don't go to Jerusalem. They know he's going to Jerusalem, but it invokes inside of them a fear. They, they, they are confident in his devotedness. The Holy Spirit gives them this, his devotedness to go to Jerusalem, but they respond in fear, don't go to Jerusalem. Agabus doesn't really tell them not to go to Jerusalem, but he kind of gives them the fear part of it. But it's also truth. Like the truth is, through the next few chapters, Paul is going to be taken captive. He's going to be put in chains. He's going to be put in front of a judge. He's going to be sent over to the Romans, and he's going to be killed. All this thing is going to come true. So the prophecy is true. The disciples are trying to get him to turn around and not go, but Paul is devoted to go. Why? Acts 19.21, if we were to back up two chapters... It says in Acts 19.21, After these events, Paul resolved by the Spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem. Paul knew where he was going because the Spirit told him to go there. Acts 20, verses 22 through 23, says just one chapter ago, And now I am on my way to Jerusalem, compelled by the Spirit. Paul was convicted and compelled. He knew what God had called him to do, and he was not going to let anything get in his way. So Paul's going to Jerusalem. Look at Acts 21, 13 through 16. Then Paul replied, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Since he would not be persuaded, we said no more except, The Lord's will be done. After this, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples from Caesarea also went with us and brought us to Manasseh of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we were to stay. I love Paul's response here because it's rooted in three realities. First, Paul traveled with iron-sharpened, iron kind of people. Iron-sharpened, iron kind of people around you challenge you. They challenge you. Now, here's the truth. Not always are we right, right? That might be difficult. Is that hard to say sometimes? Like, I am not right is one of the most difficult things to say, right? 
Everybody's quiet on that one. <laughs> it's like, I didn't say anything about that one. <laughs> Maybe your spouse is beside you and they're like nudging you or something. <laughs> is it hard to say I'm not right? Like I'm wrong? It's hard. Come on, y'all. It's hard. Right? If you didn't say right, you're wrong, so say it. Okay? It's hard to say I'm wrong. But people traveling with you, like Paul had with him, who can speak into your life and say, hey, I don't think this is right. You have to be able to say, okay, you're right, or you have to be able to say, let me sift that through God's Word and the Holy Spirit. Let me see what God's Word has to say about this. Let me see what the Holy Spirit has to say about this, because I want to be focused on truth. I want to be focused on what God has called me to do, not what you are telling me to do. I need to, are you like in the Spirit? Are you focused on what the Spirit has for me? Agabus, you've given me this truth, but it doesn't mean I'm going to back down from what God has called me to do. Paul traveled with iron sharpens iron kind of people, and sometimes they put pressure on us to do what is right. Sometimes they put pressure on us to do what is wrong. The key is, are we sifting everything we hear through the Word of God and the Holy Spirit? Not only did Paul let iron sharpen iron, but he stayed faithful in the midst of the difficult times where he was told to get off course, told not to do what he ought to do, and told not to go towards his own persecution, arrest, and death. But instead, Paul stayed faithful in the difficult times, even though they tried to persuade him. How hard is that? Like, you know it is right. You you know it may not be the best thing for you financially, physically, for your family long term. You may think it's not the best thing, best location. Uh, all of these different things. You may come up with different strategies that can be done, but when you come back to it, you're like, oh no, okay, this is the Lord's will. But everyone else is going, no, it's not, you're crazy. And you're like, maybe I should listen to them. Maybe all these other people speaking, maybe I should just back down and stop. But Paul pushed forward, and it came to a wonderful conclusion. Paul was able to challenge his iron-strong companions. In Acts 21.14, it says, Since he, he would not be persuaded, we said no more except the Lord's will be done. Do you see what happens here? Paul shares what he's going to do. The people challenge him. Paul stands firm in the Word of God, in the Spirit of God for what he ought to do. And because of it, he pushes back against the companions around him. And then they eventually go, the Lord's will be done. May your life, the way you lead brothers and sisters around you, the way you lead your family, your children, co-workers, may it lead to others saying, man, the Lord's will be done. The Lord's will being done is better than my will be done. Like, I, I hope that I live a life where my family is able to say, it's better to do what God has called you to do than what you want to do. I think this truth reveals tension. Truth reveals tension. You know, when, if we can just hide truth then it doesn't make things difficult, right? Have y'all ever been, have you ever been in a situation where you know something and if you speak the truth, if you come and you just say truth, you know it's going to cause tension. Y'all ever been there? 
what do we do? Oftentimes we just go, if I don't say anything, everything will be all right. If I just back down, nobody will get mad. Let's just not do anything. Are y'all with me? We often do this instead of speaking truth. And some of you out there are like, you crazy. I always say truth. I just say it how it is. Paint it black and white. You're like, I ain't got no friends left, but I just speak it how it is. I'm kidding. Both sides lose friends though, right? Passivity generates a life that, is, that doesn't have authenticity and nobody wants that kind of friendship. But also, when we're true, too blunt and don't bring grace into it, we lose friends too. The key is that we bring grace and truth to the point where we understand and love each other and believe that we're there for each other so that when we receive truth, we know it's for the best. Truth reveals tension. Intention reveals character. It's in tension. It's, in, it's when truth reveals tension that character comes out. How are we going to respond to this? With consistent morality and wisdom? Or with backing down, rejecting, fighting against? How are we going to respond? We ought to respond to tension with a character that shows I'm going to do what is right and say what is right. Wisdom, choosing what is right. Discernment, knowing what is right and wrong. Are you choosing what is right in the middle of the tension? Paul chose what is right. When you know what God has called you to do, are you doing it? Even if it's tense. Even if everybody around you is saying no. Are you doing what is right? And then last, character reveals faith. Truth reveals tension. Tension brings out character and character reveals faith. What is inside of you? Do you have a faith inside of you that is generating that morality and that wisdom? Has your heart been transformed in a way that brings about truth, wisdom, peace, hope into others? It's a consistent character that transforms people's hearts. We see it in James chapter 1, verses 2-4 through four, when we consider it pure joy when we face trials of many kinds because the testing of our, of our faith develops perseverance and endurance. It produces something that we didn't know we even had within us when we're tested, when truth and tension uh, come out. It tests us to the point where we can show, look, watch me. It ain't going to be easy. It's not going to be easy, but watch me in the middle of tension and I'm going to try to stay faithful. Lies postpone tension and bring a false relief of tension, don't they? If we can just keep lying, we can get our way out of tension. We can get our way out of difficulties. People try to do this with finances. People try to do this with relationships. People try to do this with jobs. People try to just lie their way out of tension. But the truth brings tension to light. And character reveals morality and wisdom in the midst of that truth, that light, that darkness that is brought to light. When truth comes, it brings attention into the reality of what we do and who we are that we're going to have to face it and say, am I going to be faithful or am I going to be unfaithful? And ultimately, it affirms an authentic faith inside of us. I think this is what, hap- what happens in this passage. Paul's life was put on full display in front of Agabus and Philip the Evangelist. 
all the disciples who were around, who traveled to see him, who comforted him and welcomed him in, all who were saying, don't go, don't go. He said, I'm going because the Holy Spirit told me to. Will we? Will we do the same? Jesus was sent into this world knowing what he would face. It says in Galatians, God sent forth his son. It was intentional. God knew he was sending his son into this world. It said that God loved the world in this way, that he gave his son. He gave up his son to be our life. In the midst of Jesus' death, we have life. It's about transformation. Jesus' whole life and death was part of us being transformed from wicked into righteous, from death into life, from a lack of hope into hope for eternity. But he had to submit to the plan of God to accomplish it. That's what the Garden of Gethsemane was for Jesus. For Paul, his Garden of Gethsemane was in front of all of his friends telling him, no, don't go. And him saying, yes, I'm going because the Spirit of God told me. Acts 19 and Acts 20. The Spirit of God has told me to go. I'm going to go. So Jesus knew what he had to do for you and me, and he did it. And 2,000 years later, we know what we have to do. Will we do it? As we said throughout this series, we have an unstoppable God with an unstoppable plan. But our question is, are we going to be a part of that unstoppable plan? We've asked this question throughout Acts, and I want to keep it in front of us to continue to ask the question, what does God have for you? What has God called you to? Maybe it's something you feel like is way outside of what you can do. Maybe you're like, man, God wants me to do this, but I don't know if I can do it. You find yourself in a great camp of believers. People like David, who faced Goliath. And with God's power, overcame Goliath. David, who faced Bathsheba, and without God's power, fell. You see, the difference is, we all face giants, we all face difficulties. We're all going to face the darkness. The question is, do we have the light in us as we go? God's got a plan for you. And I hope that we can say the Lord's will be done. As Jesus would say in Luke twenty-two forty-two, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. If you know this morning what you have been convicted and compelled to do, are you doing it? If not, have you been afraid to step out Maybe for what it might mean to your family, finances, physical life, future, location, house, children. If you've been afraid to step out. I think we see throughout Scripture that it's better to follow God's will than it is to do our own. And I hope you will choose to do what God has called you to do today. Maybe you're in here like, man, I, I know what God's called me to do, and I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm on the ship. I feel like I'm in this huge, massive ship with the, the church of God, and we're all headed towards this destination, and we get off every now and then, and the culture invades us, and they're like, don't go. Or maybe even people around you who, who, who put in your life are like, don't go, don't keep going. And today, all you need is just to be encouraged. My encouragement would be to you is to fight, to push forward, to keep going. Don't back down. Because sometimes somebody around you simply needs to see you be faithful and hear your conviction because they might need to go. The Lord's will be done. 
Somebody might need to see your faithfulness so that they might have faithfulness. Somebody might need to see you do something with grace and truth in the midst of a dark world so that they might also go and do it. So our gospel response this morning is rooted in the question, are you running from a God-given opportunity? Like Jonah when he was called to Nineveh and back down, are we running from a God-given opportunity? If so, would you replace with me, I can't with God can. You ever found yourself in a place where like God's like, hey man, I, I see you, I know you, I know your gifts, I know your time, I know your family, I know your location, I know what's going on in your life. I know what your finances look like. I know what your job looks like. Like God knows us, right? God doesn't call us to do something without the knowledge of who we are. And you look back at God and you're like, I can't do that. Replace that statement with, I know I can't. God can. Or maybe you're somewhat like me, where you're more of a yes man, and you feel like you can do everything. And so when somebody asks you to do something, you're like, yeah, yeah, let's go. Yes, I can do that. Yes, I'll do that. Yes, I'll do that. Is anybody else like that? I think sometimes we need to replace yes, I can with God can. And only do what God has called you to do. The Lord's will be done when it's difficult and when it's good. When it's a no and it's a yes, may it be the Lord's. May our yes be the Lord's yes. May our no be the Lord's no. May it not be our will, but God's will. Second thing is replace I don't want to with whatever God's will is. Maybe, maybe you would say, it's not about can and can't. It's more about I just simply don't want to. You know what I'm saying? Like God calls you to do something, you're like, that doesn't sound fun. That doesn't sound good for me. That doesn't sound like it's going to push forward anything in my career. It doesn't sound for, like it's going to push forward my finances, my family. That sounds like it's going to really stretch us. I don't want to do that. I get it. But what would it be like for us to push so hard as iron sharpens iron for us to push each other with that continual effort of saying, hey, I know it's difficult. I know you feel like you can't. I know you feel like you don't want to. But what has God called you to? We can't back down. We can't give in. We can't walk around afraid. We've got to walk around with courage, with the Spirit of God in us calling us to do something that we never thought we could do. I challenge you to share God's conviction and compelling for your life with someone. As you've seen in this passage, Paul shared with people where he was headed. Like I said, when you share where you're headed, people try to stop you. Paul told the disciples, or Jesus told his disciples where he was headed, and what did Peter do? No, you're not going. He rebuked Jesus. He said, no, you're not going to go to Jerusalem. When Paul told his disciples and those who were in part of the church and Agabus and all of these different people, hey, I'm going to Jerusalem, what'd they do? No, you're not going. It seems that there's a consistency that when someone says, this is what God's called me to do, there's people around them to say, no, you're not going. And the difficulty is discerning which no is right, which yes is right, right? That's the difficulty. 
but I think we ought to still share. You, you may be like, it probably makes sense just not to tell anybody because then you don't have anybody telling you not to do it. Right? Sounds more logical. But here's the thing. It doesn't give them the opportunity to also get to a place where they say, the Lord's will be done. It's only because Paul said, I'm going to Jerusalem. And they said, no, you're not. And Paul said, I'm going to be faithful. I'm not worried about dying. I'm not worried about being arrested. I'm not worried about the persecution. I'm worried about doing what God has called me to do. That they then come and go, hey, y'all, we ain't gonna, we're not going to change his mind. We're not going to change his mind. So what do they submit to? Lord's will be done, whatever he does. Paul, if you're going because you feel like that's the Lord's will, and you get arrested and sent to Rome and you die, whatever the Lord's will is, that's what we want. I hope that we live a life that causes other people to say, Lord's will be done. And then finally, as the band comes, maybe we simply need to give space for a Gethsemane moment. A moment in our lives where God gives us clarity on what we ought to do. Maybe it's to go somewhere we never thought we would go. Maybe it's to serve in some capacity we never thought we'd serve. Maybe it's to uh, meet with somebody who we never thought we'd meet with. Maybe it's to join something we never thought we'd join. Maybe it's to preach in a way we never thought we'd preach. Maybe it's to love our spouse in a way we never thought we'd love. Whatever God is calling you to do right now, are you doing it? And if not, would you join me in giving space for the Holy Spirit to speak into our lives and to give us direction and guidance on what He would call us to do. Can we replace I can'ts with God can's? I don't want to with whatever God's will is. Can we share God's conviction and compelling with others in our lives? And can we give space for God to speak? I'll close with this. You can close your eyes if you want to. Just take a moment to just think and reflect. If you just need to process through these things, I just want to end, end with this, this idea. Have you given yourself time to pull away from all of the responsibilities and roles, the visions and ideas, the difficulties and the beautiful blessings Have you given yourself time to step back and ask, God, what is your will? I just encourage you in this time of reflection to ask how God is using you wherever you are. To speak truth with grace. To build relationships and disciples. And to take the gospel to the rest of the world. So, Father, we love you. We believe that you sent your Son to die on a cross and raise from the dead so that we might have life and that we might be the people who preach, raise, send. That we might be the people that go, love, and care. That we might be the people like Paul who don't back down, who continue to do what, God has, what you have called us to do. Father, we ask simply for wisdom, which you promised you'd give, and strength, which you promised you'd give, wisdom to know what to do, and strength to accomplish it. Would you go with us as you promised you'd send us your spirit? Because we can't do anything without you. So just like Paul, 
We need you. And Father, we love you in your son's name. Amen.
your family and your children and their children and their children. May his favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children and their children. May his favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children and their children. May his favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children and their children.
Well, thanks again for being here this morning. I hope that as you go, you will light up the darkness. That means that we got to run. That means we got to go. Don't back down. Don't be afraid. Run in the midst of the darkness and light it up. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you later. You have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more about following after Jesus, uh, please contact us and we would love to talk more about your relationship with Christ and how you can grow in your spiritual journey.